The following conversation is intended for mature audiences only. Those under the age of 18 or without a sense of humor, listener discretion is advised. There are all sorts of ways in which we love to do this. Open up the mic. You know what I'm saying? Welcome to the Mate Dates Podcast with Jay and Bray once again on the mic. Brayden, has Netflix ruined the word cuties for all time, all eternity? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, this is just another new news article that or topic. Okay, so so right now, <laughs> Google Google cuties, right? Cuties Netflix. Put that in your Google and, and tell me what you think of their, their advertising material for this new movie that is... Uh, it's a French movie. It's It's been, you know, translated and it's coming to, of course, American and Australian Netflix. And uh, yeah, this thing, man, this poster came out and people rightfully are just outraged, confused. I mean, what the mm. hell is this thing? <laughs> Do you have the poster? Yeah, I got this uh, Forbes article up. It says uh, the controversy over Netflix's cuties is totally ridiculous. And uh, the first image, I can already kind of uh, guess as to what <laughs> what people think of this. Is it like, okay, I see twerking in quote, yep. quotation marks. Uh, the girls, the, the girls are these, eleven, by the way. Yeah, these kids look really young. They're yep. all girls. They're all like pouting. Uh, it looks very. It's like it's like a magnet for uh, pedophiles. <laughs> well, one could say that. <laughs> Is that what this looks like. I mean, look, that would be the reasonable thing to say, yeah. And and you know, that's funny that that, that the Forbes article is the first thing that comes up where you have these people trying to talk around it, and and essentially Netflix came out and put out you know a, a mea culpa. They said we're really sorry about the poster, but they basically implied that the movie was like the opposite of that. It was about like female empowerment. Okay, well, I watched the trailer, and I got to say that does not seem at all what the what like it, it. The poster seems pretty authentic to what the movie is about, and it's what's hilarious is the original description is now changed. So I'll read you the original description that they had for this movie when they were going to uh, advertise it to English audiences, and uh, what they changed it to. So this is the original. Amy, 11 years old, tries to escape family dysfunction by joining a free-spirited dance clique named Cuties as they become aware of their own femininity through dance. And it changed to now 11-year-old Amy starts to rebel against her conservative family's traditions when she became fascinated with a free-spirited dance crew. And I just find it funny that, like... Basically, all they changed was, like, now the family is conservative, so, like, if you make the family, like, Trump supporters, now it's okay to sexualize young girls in this way. But, I don't know, man, this thing is... I I, I, I think the internet is totally right to be completely outraged by this. It's so ridiculous. It looks... I don't know, yeah, it looks very kind of sexualized, and just something that 11-year-olds shouldn't even be thinking about. 
don't know. Dude, it seems like this world is like we want to just uh, fast track the uh, ma- ma- maturation of young women. Well, look, this 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 controversy obviously happens in the same you know week that WAP wet ass pussies takes over the world by Cardi B, um, which you know great song. Uh, <laughs> but you know. Like, I, I kind of, you know, I'm sympathetic to the idea that there was a necessary feminine awakening that led to young women having their own sexual autonomy, being able to choose who they have sex with, and it's totally within their purview. Absolutely. But should we be encouraging this kind of, like... Ben Shapiro got a bunch of shit, right, this week because he basically criticised... All this stuff, the WAP thing in particular, is a great video of him, like, doing the lyrics in his highly nasal voice, Ben Shapiro. And he's, like, doing the whole, like, song. And it's pretty good. It's pretty funny. But at the same time, I'm kind of sympathetic to Ben Shapiro in this case. It's like, I understand that, like, part of the feminine thing is to celebrate female sexuality. I'm, I'm with you. But when we have that alongside a movie that is blatantly and explicitly sexualizing minors, children... What is what message does that send? Especially in an era where, you know, young girls are on social media and they're constantly like transforming their face for Instagram and Snapchat with all these filters. And we know that the data actually shows this. Jonathan Haidt points this out in um, you know, he's he's the coddling of the American mind, that the data actually shows that young women are are, are self harming at a higher rate, their their more their self esteem is less than it used to be. So this is actually having some impact, right? Um, and it's just like, it's, it's crazy that like, on the other hand, you have people that are so mentally ill that they want to say pedophilia is like a sexuality. It's not, you know, like I identify as a seven year old so I can have sex with children. Um, which is not an absurd argument if you are that, you know, if you, if you go so deep into gender (laughs) politics that you think like pedophilia is its own, uh, identification, right? Like, it seems like we're getting into very murky, messy, and totally inappropriate territory. And like, and children, in my opinion, children just have to be completely protected from this stuff. It's totally unacceptable. But I don't know. Like, I th- I thought you would have absolutely have seen this. It, it was pretty big mm. in my feed. So, what do you think of this movie? You're gonna be watching Cuties anytime oh, soon? Oh, mate, I might just watch it out of pure interest. Uh, obviously not with my cock out or anything. But. Um... <laughs> No, we wouldn't want that. But honestly, like, you know, these girls, like, it's not only the girls that are in the movie, right? But it's the girls that are going to watch this movie. They're probably not going to be at the, you know, at the mature age to really understand that this is just a movie. And, like, you know, I'm all for power power to the people. But when 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 you raise these kind of curtains for the for girls it's just they start to make these conclusions of like oh my boobs aren't big enough my ass is fat i don't know they you know it's we're already dealing with so much body image problems yes. that it's like you shouldn't start that earlier than it needs to or or it doesn't need to start at all honestly but girls who are that are yet that young they're not going to understand that right that that difference right yeah, and it, clearly the movie's targeted towards that age group of young girls. That's the weird thing. It's like, you know, for all the moralizing that's done among corporations these days, Netflix has been one of them, where, like, Tom Segura, right, had his special come out um, 
I think it was Ballhog, the one where he said the word retard, and that caused a whole, like, thing within Netflix where an executive got fired. Um, you know, if we're going to get this upset about words, can we actually have a moral compass when it comes to not sexualizing children? Like, I'd much rather get clear about <laughs> that before we start getting upset about words, right? It's just like, everything's so upside down. I, I, I sympathize with what you said originally, you know. It's a crazy world we're going into where this was put... Like, how many people had to sign... If you're, if you're listening right now, I want you to Google this movie, look at the poster, and imagine how many people had to, like, sign off on this before it actually went out. And the best comment I actually read was, and it sums it up quite nicely, was look at the poses that these girls are doing, like, with the butt out and the twerking. Imagine, like, a photographer having to direct these young girls to do that. Like, that summarizes it right there. It's like... And maybe, I don't know, let's do devil's advocate. If I'm an ultra-feminist, like, is there any argument to say, like, this is acceptable? I, I can't see it, honestly, but maybe that's my patriarchal masculine uh, sexism kicking in. I don't know. Yeah, I, just, I see through the mirage, almost, of, like, it, do these producers, these directors, the photographers, are they all, like, so over stimulated by everything else that it's like you know everything else has become dull and so they're searching for young girls to go oh yeah maybe we can get a kick out of this you know maybe we can uh <laughs> flash some young girls doing some well older dude, women things and especially in an era around. where child sex trafficking is totally known like we're so aware of it now with jeffrey epstein and and like and gisley maxwell still in on trial like this is we're so aware of child sex trafficking to think that you could get away with this as well it's like i don't know man it's like netflix i don't know it's a to be fair look maybe this is maybe this is a cultural difference thing because in france i, I believe the age of consent is well, I'm not sure exactly, but I know it's. I think it's less than 18, right? I don't think it, it's, it would be like 15. I think it's. I think it's 14 in Austria, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So again, that's maybe maybe that's cultural differences, uh, and maybe I'm a racist for thinking that that's ridiculous. But on the same token, I just think that like we're getting upset about words every day, every week. Everyone's you know people are getting fired for mm. saying the wrong thing, and this somehow got out to like people's Netflix's feed, and, and only it. Only in the backlash do they actually have a moral compass and actually change their... And, and the truth is, I don't know if anything's going to change because the movie's still coming out. They just basically apologise for the poster. And I think their PR is just hoping that that's enough. Um, you know, who yeah. knows? Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see. Like, it, So it hasn't actually dropped on Netflix's yet? Let's, let's find out, actually. When does yeah. it come out? It comes out um, September 9th. So in oh, a couple okay. weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, right? Well, I guess we'll have to watch it. We'll have to see, and I'm not watch the thing. I'm gonna watch the. I'm definitely not gonna watch the movie, but I will watch the. Uh, I will reception, watch, right? Yes, the reception. Thank, thank you. Um, so there you go. There's, there's cuties. I don't think I'll ever use that word again around well, young yeah. girls. They have ruined that word, actually. And you're right. Like, you know, this slips through the cracks, and you know, the other thing that slips through the cracks was Jeffrey Epstein's uh, advertisements of, let's get. Uh, you know, give me a massage and I'll give you $200 type thing. Right. So, like, he wasn't shouting that from the rooftops like Netflix is right now, you know. Right, well... Uh, I know Prin it's probably not the most accurate analogy, but... No, well, you're right. Enough. I mean, like, Prince Andrew, 
just today there was a massive protest outside of Parliament um, because Prince Andrew has still not accounted for the accusations um, that he did the same thing. He was involved with Epstein, and, you know, there are very serious accusations leveled against him, but no one has had to answer for it or no one is prosecuting him because of his status and power in society. So, you know, this is a real thing, and it's like it's kind of like a slap in the face to put this movie out and be like, you know... As if this wasn't a real problem, like that that child sex trafficking is 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 happening, and and you know, yeah, like you have to ask, like, is this movie trying to like attempt to normalize uh, the sexuality of young women? Right, like, and maybe that's extreme, but at the same time, you have to expect those questions, like, in this era of you know everyone knows about it, and yeah, how many people had to sign off and be like, oh, this is fine. No one's going to ask that question. What? <laughs> like, so, yeah. So, I'm look, I'm normally against the internet freaking out about stuff, but I'm totally on board this time. It's like, yep, totally destroy mm. this thing. This is ridiculous. Um, and that's where I stand on that. So, there you go. Yes, uh, it's not often It's not often that we're actually in favour of the online outcry. Right. right. No, yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, usually it's totally ridiculous and out of proportion and... Uh, you know, but in this case, it's, these aren't just words. This, as you say, this is potentially sexualizing young girls in a way that is totally unacceptable. Um, and I think it's even more of, of a problem, you know, TikTok as well. It's like there have been mm. stories coming out about pedophiles just roaming TikTok because these young girls think that they're just talking and, and dancing amongst their friends. And the truth is, you know, we, we were taught this because we came up in the early days of the internet that, like, be very careful about what you put out because anyone can see it. But the truth is, the internet is just everywhere. And, like, yeah. and I don't, I don't think kids have the same, you know, suspicion yeah. that we had. When we when we post oh. something online, it was like, everyone's going to see this, dude. You can't just be thinking that it's just your friends or just everyone can see it. And some of the content that young girls put out for their friends to see... It might. It's not sexual to them or their friends, but uh, you know, some incel, some fifty-year-old incel can, yeah, as you say, like you know, it's it's ridiculous. I don't know. Yeah, you raise a good point. Like back in the day when the internet was fresh and more brand new, we were hearing that over and over. It was drilled into us. But now it's like because it is fully normalized, and like these girls, their parents would use it on a daily basis. You know, everyone they know uses the internet to some capacity, but they probably use it more responsibly. And that's just kind of this unspoken expectation about the internet. And the, well, uh, kids don't them, know. They, like, they just don't know. Like, I actually, they don't know, right? Yeah. I actually read a tweet. I don't know if this is true, but this is a tweet. But this woman basically said, I walked in on my younger sister and her friends with their pants off twerking on TikTok. And of course they don't, and these were like, you know, 10-year-old girls. But of course they don't know, like, they don't understand what they're doing. But at the same time, yeah. they need they need that education. They need to know that, like, this is, and it's like, but but no one's no one's taking that initiative. So I don't, so to, to put out a movie like this, yeah. when it's already so normalized, it, it is fucking weird. And, and I don't know, like, what, what kind of uh, dark web is, is going on at Netflix, I wonder. Like, what kind of underbelly is, is, is going on there where, like, this somehow got through? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, that seems like a good place to maybe go to a break and we're going to talk about in the next segment some more uh, Santa Claus facts. So stay tuned for that.
Okay, welcome back to Mate Dates. In this segment of the show, we're going to talk about um, some idioms, some sort of age-old truisms, and in particular, we're going to talk about the idea that has been... I, I don't know, I guess we're, it would have been nice to find the, uh, the history of this phrase, I suppose. I don't really know, but... Uh, you know, I've for as long as I've been alive, I've I've heard people say it. The phrase "ignorance is bliss," and we're going to unpack that a little bit. We might have some other phrases we go into, but we'll see it. We'll see how long we go for, and we'll see how long this uh, uh, lasts. But we have talked about this in a previous episode that we didn't release, and I said to Braden before, you know, it's funny because like when you have a conversation about something, you sort of discover what you think, and so I feel like we had the discussion, and only in having the discussion. I sort of was able to clear up what I actually thought. And so I mentioned Santa Claus just before because I feel like it actually is the most paradigmatic example of what this phrase really encapsulates. So I'm curious what you know. Uh, I'm curious to know what you think about this. So ignorance is bliss, right? So it's like, it's perfect to, I think, bring up the example of Santa Claus. We all, most of us had a childhood where we believed in a big beardy man that would bring us presents once a year, right? And there's a sense in which that creates a magic about the world. It's enchanting. It's something to look forward to. And there's a sense in which once that illusion is shattered, once the ignorance goes away, and you're actually aware that this is not a real thing that happens, and it's just your parents being a bit cheeky and, uh, and keeping a fantasy alive for a child's mind, then there's a sense in which, you know, maybe it's not as happy. Maybe Christmas is... Maybe the magic of Christmas goes away a little bit. And I'm curious to know what you think of that example. Is that is that a good example? That's the thing that occurred to me after we had the conversation. I'm like, oh, mm. we didn't even bring up Santa Claus, and that's like the <laughs> that's the best example for this this idea, and and the maybe the potential flaws in thinking that ignorance really is bliss. Because I'll just give you, you know, the quick summary is that I think you can have all the magic of Christmas without the illusion of big beardy man coming down the chimney. But I'm curious what you think of the the Christmas example to kick us off. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah, no, I like that. And and yeah, ignorance is bliss. It's one of those idioms that has just been around since forever. Really, like it's almost as if cavemen kind of stumbled upon this <laughs> themselves. You know, the first kind of words being formulated. Um, but yeah, in terms of Santa Claus, I mean, that's great. That's perfect. And I think it's fine. That is, it's almost harmless in that degree. Uh, there does come a time, obviously, uh, in every parent's life that it's like, oh, should we tell them? Should we, should we break the, the illusion glass and do you remember what age? really ground them? Do you remember what age, uh, the, the shattering happened for you? I, I think for me, it was more, I was tuned into it, right? I was, oh. I was on the buzzer of like, okay. hold up, this guy isn't even real, is he? Like, I kept asking that question, even like outside of Christmas time. And I think I got to the point where my parents were just couldn't they couldn't lie any longer, you know, their their poker faces could only last so long and uh, they could only keep up the masquerade for, for so long, especially since I was so interested in who this man is. Like, you know, if if, if he's out there, you know, what what about me? Could I be uh, one of Santa's little helpers or something? Honestly, in terms of ignorance is bliss and you're talking about Santa Claus and you, obviously you're talking about kids around the age of 10 or something, I think that's perfectly fine. I think that's even, you know, kids don't know much at that point in their life. So to lean into their ignorance is a great way. And and the thing, the thing about Santa Claus in particular is that it's a mechanism to keep them in line, right? Like it's a, it's almost like a mechanism to keep them conformed to 
what we would consider good behavior in society. Sure. That's the way I see it. Because, you know, I, I'm sure it was the same for you, but whenever you would act out, uh, your parents would say, well, hold up, you Santa Claus, he's always watching, you see, so he's going to put you on your naughty list, and come Christmas time, you're not going to reap any benefits, any rewards. There's not going to be any presents for you. Get a nice big tree. sack of oranges. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, Halloween comes around, you're just getting fruit, young man. So, yeah. Which, I mean, to be honest, fruit's pretty good. I mean, I had a couple apples, pink ladies, you know, they're pretty sweet. But um, yeah. that's interesting you say that because, you know, we're both, we're both closer to being atheists than we are to being religious, right? And Santa Claus is traditionally a religious Christian thing. Um, but it's interesting, you know, for, for my whole life, I've never associated Santa Claus with Christianity simply because, True. Um, you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, you know, associated in that way. So the idea that you could use it to make children behave better, I, I definitely think that's true. But I, I wonder if there's an ethical thing there, because one thing you do hear atheists say a lot is that there is a kind of. Uh, ethical problem with lying to children in that way. It's certainly something Christopher Hitchens would argue. Um, you know, the idea that you would uh, give them this illusion of, uh, you know, something big beardy man watching you and, and you can imagine that might make a child's mind really suffer and if they were really neurotic they might spend all night just like oh, is he watching me? Like, I don't know, I don't want to do anything bad and that could really be torturous for a certain kind of neurotic child, right? Um, and so I wonder if you... Yeah, point. What do you yeah. think about the ethics there? Yeah, is there something to be said there? Especially when, once the illusion is shattered, like I alluded to before, they might start questioning, like, everything. Like, oh, you lied about Santa Claus? I can't trust my parents at all. Like, No, absolutely fair point. I think, you know, yeah, from what I said just before, it's completely harmless. Maybe not. I mean, when you are a child, it does seem harmless. But given the moment where it shatters, right, like where the the reality shines through, which is inevitable. It has to happen, right? Because if you're going to go with this lie of Santa Claus is real, at one point or another, that has to come crashing down. And, you know, what remains is reality, just cold, harsh reality. So maybe it is something where it takes the magic out of the world. I don't know, man. Like, it's so... It's, it's something that could be discussed for a very long time, I feel, because... Uh, yeah, like what you said, if you lie to your child, doesn't that set the precedent for them to lie? Doesn't that mean they can justify and think, oh, well, you know, my parents did it, so why can't I? It's it's harmless, and, and you know, they did it to me, I turned out okay, or whatever. But yeah, given, give, it, uh, give a lie to someone who's neurotic and going to take it very literally, it's it could be harmful. It could be something that uh, is traumatic for them. For the rest of their lives well look a lot of uh christians will say or ex-christians rather will say that like they actually do experience trauma because they thought the devil uh or the idea of going to hell that was seriously like uh you know a concern for like maybe uh some part of their adult life and only when they turn 30 or 40 or 50 they're still kind of suffering from that ptsd of like and so so the santa claus is the innocuous kind of example but the truth is that's how religion is, is transferred is that you tell a child that this is true and because they're a child they believe it and maybe you say that it's because you want that child to have bliss and maybe you do think ignorance is bliss so so this is why i think ignorance is bliss is interesting because you know you brought it up last time and i i, I think it's a good topic because 
on one level you can totally see what that phrase means like you could totally see it's it's fun to believe in Santa Claus it's fun to believe in magic uh, it's fun but there is a sense in which that ignorance prevents you as you say from seeing cold hard reality but even calling it cold hard reality betrays something there doesn't it right like why <laughs> why can't we just be why can't we have the magic of Christmas, say, where we just celebrate togetherness and love mm. and presents and gifts? And why can't we have all that, but without the magic of, or without the lie, rather, yeah. of um, if you're bad, bad things happen? Like, it seems like that's that's the... And, and, and just to build on what you're saying, I feel like the Santa Claus thing, it's, it's fine to do it, but it's like, if you wield that, if you're a parent and you wield that in a tyrannical way, like every time your child does something, you don't, don't even... Maybe it's not even wrong, it's just you don't like it. Like, they just have some nervous tick or something. And if you go, if you keep doing that, Santa Claus is gonna, not going to bring you any presents, all right? So stop it. And then, like you wield it in a very tyrannical kind of patriarchal way. Um, I could see that, yeah, definitely being... Maybe it may be hard for a child to um, to understand there that, or, or maybe it it might undermine the magic because they're so obsessed with the morality of like Santa Claus mm. is on my I'm on naughty list. What am I gonna do? Like, yeah, well, no, it's really interesting that you know you, I love these discussions, right? Because it's almost like this is discussions to make us better parents, better dads, right? This is <laughs> when the day even, comes, even prior to finding a lovely lady prior to you know the the semen that you have at the moment is never going to <laughs> um, eventuate into a yep. living breathing creature right i'm with like you. it will probably yeah it will it will go to waste we know that um but yeah no it's it's very i like it because it's very uh enlightening uh as to how to be a parent and it's never too early to start thinking about it i think you know um sure. So if you were to lo uh, go with the Santa Claus charade, uh, it kind of begs to me that the, the it's more for the parents than it is for the children. And let me explain. So it's more, the, there's magic, right? There's magic, a magical nature to believing in Santa Claus. And come Christmas time, you know, you, you've used this uh entity uh as leverage as as something that is going to push and shape your children into the beings that you want them to be right sure but take santa claus away what happens then well if they behave and act out then you can say i'm not going to give you that many presents at christmas you know if you if you change it from some magical creature in the sky or well, living in the North Pole to you it, may, it makes reality that much more real right because you're not there isn't going to be that illusion shattering moment there's never going to be that it's always this here right now and teaching your children that will probably allow them to deal with um, yeah, I don't know, deal with just undesired circumstances a lot better because they're not always, they're not going to be relying on some mystical being to come save them. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, that is very fascinating to me. Yeah, I guess the uh, question is, 
uh, is a child's mind capable of understanding the nuances there, right? Like, it, could you say to a child at the same age that they're capable of understanding Santa Claus? And there's a question of like, you know, depending on the culture that you're in, it might be inevitable that like that that imagery is just forced on them, you know, just through watching TV and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there is a question about like, can they? Could you explain to a four-year-old, hey, you know, listen. You know, other kids believe this is real, but it's not really real. But it's but it's nice to believe in it, and you know, don't spoil it. Like, could you even have that conversation? And I guess it depends on the child. You know, it depends on like what that child is capable of comprehending. But let's do another example, right? So like birthdays. I feel like for the longest time, when you're a kid, your birthday is like a metaphysical thing. It's like this is my day. It's like it's almost as if it has magic that that it's your day. And you know, when that number goes up. It actually feels like something has happened, right? Now we know when that ignorance is shattered that it's just a day and it's like, and we could measure human lifespan in any number of ways. We've just chosen this one way to do it. And we think that birthdays are nice because, you know, it just gives you something to, you know, reflect on and maybe give yourself a break. Maybe, maybe that's the way to have the adult version of it. But I feel like when you're a kid, it's like, it actually has some metaphysical power to say, this is my birthday. It's my day. And it, like, it feels like mm. as if that is more, that you could, you could argue that that's more blissful to think of birthdays as really being metaphysically special. Um, now, of course they're not. And the question is in realizing that they're not, do you lose the blissful euphoria of having a birthday? And I have to say, maybe you lose some of it, but there is a narcissism to thinking that your birthday has metaphysical power. So perhaps ignorance is bliss, but ignorance is also narcissistic and blinding and constraining of thought and, you know, all the other things that we could say about ignorance. So it's another it's another thing that I think has a bit of tension. So what do you make of uh, your birthday, especially now as, you know, a grown uh, humanoid? Do you have any d- development there where you've changed your your feeling about it? Yeah, I guess, look, inevitably it happens because you just experience so many in your life and you understand that it really is just another day. And you also have the past experience of understanding that even catastrophe can strike on your birthday, right? Like if... if Oh, Princess Diana died on my first first birthday. Who's that? Princess Diana. Princess Diana died on my first birthday, yeah. Fun fact. Look at that. That is... That just sets the scene, doesn't it? My so, mum tells me uh, all the time about like how <laughs> everyone was there to celebrate, but everyone's like crowding around the TV because like you know this tragedy's happened. I don't have any memory of it, of course, but you know that's that's pretty good. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, on your birthday, yeah, they, like so you and Princess Diana couldn't exist in the same world at the same time. No, I think that's, that's it. That that's means, it. Yeah, you are royalty, Jay. You, there's only so much royalty in the world at one stage. I don't in, in think I part. want to be associated with that family, given the the <laughs> accusations leveled at Prince Andrew. To be honest. I think I'm fine being uh, as separated as I am. <laughs> yeah, I hate to sound insensitive, but yeah, I mean, it's Princess Diana. I mean, I don't know. What did she do? Uh, unlike you, you know? like Yeah, he's done so much. It was, yeah. it. it was a good trade. Uh, but yeah, so in terms of your birthday, yeah, it's very fast. It's very interesting, right? Because it's like, yeah, what do you do? What do you... Because obviously we're thinking about this from the parent's perspective, like a potential parent we would be saying, what would you say, right? You could either go one way or the other. You could go, your birthday is really special. It's going to be your day. Everything is going to go your like to your desires, right? Like everything's going to align. We're going to, uh, 
you know, control every aspect of the day to suit you. You're going to choose the meals, the music, the weather, like, you know, but, but then, yeah, the weather, right? Like, then that becomes like a thing of like, you're putting too much pressure, not only on yourself, but then them, you're setting this precedent that every year they're going to be expecting the same thing or better. Like maybe the, you've set the bar and then you've got to go even beyond that, uh, the year after that. And, um, yeah, like, like you said, like the number ticking up that feels special. It's, it's very, it's a nice moment. It felt like something happened. The numbers are going up. Um, but the truth of the matter is, and I mean, you know, at this age, uh, this point of time in my life, like numbers don't really matter. Numbers are always ticking up. Uh, every day is fresh and new. So look, I think with that kind of realization, it's harder to say that to a child who is eight go- or nine going on 10, they're getting the double digits to their name, you know. Uh, it's harder to say that every day is new and fresh and every moment you are aging... Um, Should count. It should count. Yeah, right. And so you shouldn't have to wait for your birthday to do something. And it's like it's like a New Year's resolution. It's almost like yeah. that. So we're really talking about the importance of days uh, of like, yeah, the the special days of the year. Um, and yeah, the truth of the matter is, you know, catastrophe can strike any day of the year. And if it didn't, if it couldn't, then you know, we would be living in a utopia. So because there's a birthday every day, right? Right. But so to take away the importance and the speciality of of a birthday for your child, they would then go on to to talk to their friends on their birthday and say, oh, your birthday isn't so special, you know? And so (laughs) then you've got this problem of like, now your child is going around spoiling the Santa thing, uh, given everyone the cold, hard facts of reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas, honestly, maybe ignorance is a little bliss there, right? Like, it should be... Like, I, I always kind of go back to ignorance should be responsibly used. Mm. It, it's almost like a power, right? And if we abuse it, then we're going to see the negative consequences of that. Okay. Um, well, okay, let's take it out of the child realm, though, because I think that those are all really good points. But what if what if you came across an adult, and I do know these adults, like, you know, 40, 50 years old, who still treat their birthday as if it's, like, you know, uh, their day. So if you see an adult doing that, and I feel like these are the people who say ignorance is bliss, right? Um, now, so I, so clearly we both reject that, right? It's not It's not enough to say ignorance is bliss. I mean, sure, a dog is quite ignorant of many things, and they seem to have quite a fun life, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, clearly, right? And so clearly there's a sense in which the animalistic nature of just going with a thing is a kind of bliss. Sure, absolutely. And certainly a dog is not suffering from any existential trauma of what is my nature and where am I going and what is my purpose, right? All the questions that might come up if you start to think ignorance, you know, I feel like the people who say ignorance is bliss suffer a lot from those kinds of questions, right? 
Um, so take it out of the child realm for a second. What if you had an adult that was like, my birthday or Christmas is really important to believe in, you know, it's actually, we brought this up last time, I think, you know, the example of someone who's so confident that they're going to go to heaven that it gives them a kind of bliss right now. Now that is ignorant because you don't know that, but maybe you could still have the same kind of fearlessness and, and, you know, that same kind of approach to life but without being confused about the nature of what you are and where you are. Mm. Can we walk and chew gum at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does It does come back to that question, really, because the thing is, like, if that's the case, and if you are placing so much importance on not only your birthday, but, yeah, your death day, and, like, where you're going to go afterwards in the great beyond, like, what is going to happen to you, and you believe that everything's going to work out, everything's going to be fine. And so that just that thinking about that is going to give you a little bit of um, blissful ignorance, right? Um, like, on some level, it's like, well, whatever gets you to sleep at night, whatever you know gets <laughs> yeah. you up in the morning. Yeah. You know, as long as you're a functioning member of society and you can get through a day without, I don't know, c- causing a scene or committing crimes or lashing out, then then good, right? That Good, keep doing that. Keep believing that you're going to be safe after death. You're going to be... Um, your birthday is going to be magnificent. So, you know, you just need to get through these next six months and you, <laughs> uh, you will be rewarded, right, at the end of the day. So, yes, on some level, yeah, do that. That's fine. But on the other level, it's like if you want to live a more examined life and to really understand uh yeah more of a grounded perspective like and actually adopt a a more realistic approach to living then you can't you really can't place that much importance on a specific day right like even a new year's resolution i always feel like it's so weird that people wait until the end of the year in order to make these life-changing um it's bizarre it's, yeah, a, it's like, a very bizarre tradition that we've uh, enshrined in our culture. Um, yeah. As if that day had any other significance to, to any other day where you could choose to lose weight or get healthier. Right. Yeah, it's just a yeah, nice milestone, like, it, I suppose. It's perfect. It's when the clock's reset. Um, you can say to everyone that you've been, I don't know, on this diet for exactly six months on July 1st. And I don't know, like, is it something to keep you in track in check is it is it something that to help you with your narrative right of your own self narrative of say uh i was living in bad with bad habits this year but then next year i'm going to be better so I, it but the the truth of the matter is you can really like i mean this is the power of now right this is eckhart tolle saying like no you can choose to live now right like you can choose to change your unhealthy cyclical nature right now in the middle of the day in the middle of the week um yeah you can you can you don't have to eat that donut right um i mean that is just we have the power to do that right we have the power of choice a lot of the time but the power of choice is usually uh clouded by this uh alluring fog of just normality and impulses and all the, all the rest yeah no yeah. i think that's those are those are all really good points i think um you know that's why buddhism is kind of such an attractive ideology is because it does say that about ignorance where that is the fundamental 
thing to be wary of, but at the same time, it's quite forgiving if you are taken in by it at certain stages. And, you know, I think that's that's probably the right approach, is to say, you know, allow, as you say, if it gets you out of bed in the morning, great. The only thing that's troubling about that is that, you know, especially in something like the Christian faith, or, you know, not to pick on the Christians here, but it's just the most, pro- it's just the most accessible example in today's culture. But if, you know, maybe believing in heaven gets you out of bed, but if that makes you hate gay people, right? Mm-hmm. That's not good. So is that bliss, right? You know, like that's ignorance, isn't it? So there is a sense in which ignorance can't just be bliss. It has to be other things too. It has to be short-sightedness, confusion, right? Like maybe, maybe the idea is ignorance is inevitable, but you should at least be somewhat wary of it, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't be so attracted to the magic of Santa Claus that you don't see the real fundamental purpose of the tradition, which is to love each other and give gifts and hug each other and remind, you know, the community that there's more to life than doing a nine to five and like that's that's how i see the holiday that's what it's about so but but if you think it's really about the magic you're kind of missing the point right so what do you think of that yeah i don't know it's, it it kind of says to me especially just understanding yeah the the background intention of say believing in santa claus or um even a new year's resolution right like the the intention there is to live a good life and to live truthfully and honestly and with the well-being of not only yourself but others at at the forefront of your mind right like and appreciating each moment like the illusions set up by the nature of how we perceive time and the importance that we put on certain days and whatnot um it's almost like we need like a lot of people need that for motivation or need that as like an incentive to just be good i don't know like just to not be a dickhead right perhaps like perhaps and yeah i guess when it does come to the point to the fact of like well yeah you're going to get up in the morning but you're going to also hate gays at the same time because of that fact of uh you know fully immersing yourself in christianity then yeah, we're going to have a problem, and I don't know, it, like like we were saying before, you know, you, you've got people in their 40s and 50s that are completely deluded and don't really understand, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, like a, a whole plethora of things they don't really understand, and yeah, they are living in this illusion, right? So it, that's, when it, that's when it's very concerning, because these are people who have done their time as an adult and have worked their way up the ranks and so they have power and they have the power um, not only to you know live the life that they think is uh, is proper and true but they also have the power to raise children the same way that they live their lives right so that's when it gets really worrying because they are multiplying this like this disease this disease mentality is like it's breeding through their way of life um you you kind of have to step back at one at some point and and not get too involved especially someone like us outside and we can't get too caught up with all that because ultimately we can't change them 
right. it's up to them to change, right? Right. It, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, at the end of the day, whose mind is open to actually changing? Especially if all of your behavior and motivation is predicated on this myth being true, which is ignorance, right? So, so that's why people say ignorance is bliss. But I guess my contention would be, do you lose anything when you are just honest about what you think you are and where you are? And I just think you don't. Like, you can still have all of the magic of these human traditions, of these cultural, you know, artifacts. We could still have all the magic of it, and at the same time, like your birthday, you could you could have all the, you know, feelings of uh, significance and friends coming to shower you with love and affection. All that's there, and you just don't have to believe that this day is special on a metaphysical level. Um, and just like, you know, the idea that everything happens for a reason, right? Well, maybe everything doesn't happen for a reason. But if you at least act as if that's true, you know, you're not you're not ignorant in the sense that you actually believe it, but if you act as if that was true, you can still retain all of the, uh, you know, you might say, you know, psychological um, motivation that comes from believing that. But you don't have to believe it in the same sort of deep sense, right? We, we can act in a certain way without sincerely believing everything happens for a reason. You know, I can certainly behave in a way in, in the world that, you know, promotes an idea of karma, right? If I'm going to put out good vibes, good vibes are going to come my way. I can act like that and, and it can be sort of true in my experience, but it doesn't have to be like metaphysically true it feels like that's the step that people take that is wrong that the, like santa claus really does exist it's like well okay but what if you just had the idea of santa claus being a kind of moral figure or it's like the idea that christopher hitchens used to say to bring him up twice in one episode you can clearly tell i'm a fan but he used to say this about socrates you know you know big religious critic people used to say to him well what if socrates doesn't exist he used to say, well, it doesn't really particularly matter to me if Socrates exists. What matters is his method of examination, of conversation, of dialectic argument. And that is that is what I care about. I don't care if Socrates actually existed. What I care about is his is the figure of what he represents. And what he represents is the, ex the unexamined life is not worth living, as you alluded to before. So the question is, do you lose anything once you start to examine what you are and where you are? And I just have to come to the conclusion that you don't. And it's a mistake to think that you need to hold on to dogma and assumptions and absurdities in order to live a happy life. It's just not true. And that's if you think it is true, it's just kind of like a fear that you're, like, you're going to lose something once you discard these nonsensical, incompatible beliefs. What do you think of that? Yeah, you're kind of speaking to our, ability, like our need to become attached to things right like you're speaking to the uh other poisonous attitude of buddhism attachment so to to respect someone like socrates for the lessons and the things that they have preached uh, across their time on, on earth or whatever it's um that is one thing but then the, uh, the other thing to be like no he's really real and he's going to come back me after death yeah I don't know. Uh, that's a whole other thing in itself. And, you know, the mistake there is is not realising that 
you know, you are your own person. So you don't right. have to identify with these very far-fetched things. That, right. You know, if, if, yeah, everything, your morality is predicated on the fact that you're going to meet God after death. It's just, I mean, you have to understand that that might be an illusion. You right. have to be okay with that. Because if you're not, you're going to be, you might be, I, I don't know, I don't know everything, but you might be very sorely disappointed. And Well, who, who's, who's going to be around to be disappointed, right? <laughs> so that's one thing. But also, like, I is love it what... Pascal's wager that, is it that? Ah, yeah, 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 there you go. So go check out that episode. I think that was, uh, <laughs> that was episode two or something. But yeah, like, look, that's, that's, that's accurate, I think, in terms of what I think for sure. Because it's a very Jungian perspective, right? Like, what is the point of the Christ figure like jesus christ as a figure as a image what is the point of it well you could say well the point of it is, is that he's going to come back and we're all going to be saved and he's a real person and that's really going to happen okay but the jungian kind of mythological archetype of what it represents is an ideal right this is what jordan peterson used to go on about like there's 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 a sense in which you realize that your mind as a human being designed by natural selection and all of the evolutions of culture of human culture we like stories we like fiction but at the same time we know that the world isn't a fiction we have scientific tools we have all sorts of empirical ways of figuring out that water is h2o and it doesn't really matter if someone wrote down that god made water well no we know water is h2o and it naturally arises and etc 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 but the question is, do we ever need to really sincerely believe in our fictions in order to reap the baby from the bathwater in that sense, right? Or do we need... It seems like like there's a false dichotomy. Either you're kind of like fully religious and spiritual and you really do think ignorance is bliss and so you go deep into ignorance, or you go full atheistic like, no... Uh, the only thing we can believe is science and rationality is something that is the only thing we can rely on. But there is a middle ground. There's a middle way, as the Buddhists would say. And, and there's a way in which we can have the fictions and they can have the same power because we know that that story is impactful for our very human mind. But we don't have to like genuinely believe as if that is on the same level as something like water is H2O, right? As, as, as like... We don't, so, so the idea that like the religious myth is that the earth is the center of the universe and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We know that is so flawed. We know that the earth is just as unremarkable a planet as any other hundreds of billions of other planets in a galaxy that is continuously popping and, and bursting with life and energy. We know that we are an unremarkable piece of rock of, of water and life. But the thing that is remarkable is that we're here and something's happening and something's going on. So... Let's have a blast, right? Let's let's enjoy it. It feels like that's where I kind of land on the idea that ignorance is bliss. Well, it is maybe kind of bliss. A dog is having a fun time, and he's quite ignorant of many things. But human beings are more than that. Ignorance is also, for human beings, narcissistic, short-sighted, as I said before. It's like, it's, it's constraining of a broader perspective of a middle way. It's like you don't have to buy into the, the false dichotomy that everything spiritual or magical is woo-woo, and on the other hand, everything that's rational and scientific is the only thing we can trust. No, there's, there's definitely a discussion and a discourse in the middle that 
It's kind of like the Taoist kind of thing, right? Yin Yang. You need both to kind of figure out what's true. You need to you need to operate in this middle space. And I like what you said there as well. It's about figuring out what you actually think. It's about having a a presence that is more personal. You're not just adopting the dogma. You're actually thinking about it. You're kind of coming to your own archetypical kind of place, and 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 that it's more meaningful in that sense, isn't it? Because it's like, it's personal. It's like, no, this is, this is how I operate. It's, I'm not relying on tradition, just tradition. I'm not relying on just science. I'm finding Mm. my own path through the fictions that's been, that have been handed down to me by my ancestors. But at the same time, I'm aware that we don't know a lot of stuff and we're continuously finding out new things about the empirical nature, the scientific nature of, of where we are. Um, because it seems like if you if you if you don't have one side, you you definitely are missing something. If you don't have the other side, you're definitely missing something. And yeah, it's 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 a tension, right? It has to be a tension. Otherwise, it's a, it's just false dichotomy. It's just a it's a myth that you need to have one or the other. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's the duality of man, right? Like there you it's go. The, the yin yang. It's yeah. I love that middle path. Um, you know idea i guess um or way of life philosophy because um yeah you can't lean in one side or the other and what you said about you know if you just uh went with tradition or like whatever you say you know whatever the pope says all right that's what we're doing sorry kids we're gonna stone the gays now or whatever you know <laughs> it's like you're you might as well just be a puppet you right. might as well just be completely manipulated by their hand movements um or in, you know, their case, whatever they say. So, um, you're a slave. Yeah, coming to your own conclusion is is the middle way, and it's it's understanding that there's both two sides to it, but you're going to go through the middle of them both, and it allows you to not get too attached to any one idea. It allows you to not be so debilitated by any sort of catastrophe um yeah no i love that it's uh it's something we can all kind of take a piece of knowledge from this tree because uh yeah especially you know when we're talking about the online mob mentality and stuff it we all get a little bit those people get a little bit too attached right because one person says something and it's just going to ruin their whole day and their their whole efforts and mind power is is uh, basically fully honed in on yeah. this one idea. On their right? social media feed. Yeah, I actually feel, yeah. like, not to get too sidetracked, but I feel like that is actually a, a mental health crisis we're not even aware of yet. So that's going to, it's really going to yes. play out yeah, interestingly. Definitely. Yeah, it is, right? Because because what that is, is so being so attached to what's coming up on your phone that you're not just looking around you. Like, you actually think the world is like Nazis all the way all the way down or like there's destruction all around you but just look around it's like if you're in yeah right if you're in a western stable country with a government that actually works you're fine like there are so many places on this <laughs> earth where that is not the case so be grateful for the fact that you were born in a country where you weren't just some child who died of diarrhea right because that happens that, so that's the thing if you don't have that knowledge that you're that you're so lucky you will just like endlessly scroll through your phone and think that you live in some, you know, Nazi state. There was actually a, a, a writer for the Atlantic this week who compared the United States to Nazi Germany as if there was no, 
like like not even ironically it, it's so bizarre so i think that's that's a mental health crisis uh, on its own that we probably mm. that we're not going to fix but <laughs> that we might see some symptoms of as we continue to uh become further attached to our social media feeds but so that's mm. yeah mm. so i think we've, we've kind of unpacked most of that i tried to rewrite this idiom as if it like being true you know it's not as catchy <laughs> i'll admit that but what do you think of this so instead of ignorance is bliss ignorance is an inevitable and sometimes useful state of unknowing often associated with the comfortable sense of naive certainty not as catchy but yeah oh i mean yeah it's got a pop right it, everything nowadays it's going to be reduced to like three words so it's not going to get I mean... many likes but i feel like that's more accurate <laughs> what do you think of that I mean, it's hard to change the the tide of the waters now, I suppose, because everyone's been using this term for forever. So, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I really, I'll, I'll be uh, spreading the hashtag and everything. But I think we'll need something a little bit more catchy, catchy or something. Yeah. Well, what I, I what have you got? What if, Ignorance you... is uh, a superpower, and you know, or I don't know. Yeah, but with that, you know, great power comes great responsibility. I think you know that is also something you could attach to that. Um, no, I like it, though. Because the thing is, like, it can become a shield, right? Not, not just ignorance, but that saying of, like, ignorance is yeah. bliss. Oh, you know, the neighbours died yesterday. The government shot them up. And it's like, oh, ignorance is bliss. We're still alive, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, hold up. That's pretty alarming. You know? <laughs> yeah. If the neighbours died, when are we going to be next? That you, sort of thing. you could almost just... uh, weaponize it to absolve you of any responsibility, right? You could almost yeah. You could you could live your whole life just saying that phrase, right? And mm. and that's why I say it's um, sometimes useful state of unknowing. Um, but I don't yes, think but... that. And, and and of course you have to accept that, like, and that, that's the Socratic, you know, ideology is that uh, you only start to get knowledge once you realize what you don't know, right? Once you realize the constraints mm. of you might say epistemological certainty you start to actually develop a, a clear sense of where you are what you are what you're doing right and there are just questions that you just don't you can't have a certain answer to i, I feel like sometimes ignorance is bliss what they mean to say is certainty is bliss right and what i, what I think mm. we're trying to fight back against is that there are cert, there are some matters in this life that you just you are not entitled to be certain about and you have to accept that. Like, you, you just, you, you don't get to be certain about the fact that you're going to go to heaven and all your buddies are going to be there and all your pets from your childhood that died are going to be there. It's like, well, maybe that's comforting, but to be certain about that, I'm not saying it's not true. Maybe it is. Maybe yeah, it right. is, right? But, that's but, the thing. Because yeah, not even we know. It's yeah. open to question, right? But the point is, is once you decide that it is certain, or if you, if you as you say, if you adopt the whole traditionalist view... You become a kind of slave to the dogma, and you don't want that. But on the same token, if you're a full-blown atheist, you're like, no, there's no heaven, there's no such thing, I know for a fact, ah. But now you're kind of invoking your own dogma about how you're certain that there isn't something. Well, that's its own problem, isn't it? Like, so maybe the, maybe the real thing is certainty is bliss, not not ignorance is bliss, and, and mm. that can't be right. It just, it's simply, you know, the human condition is not... Uh, it doesn't enable that kind of certainty about these metaphysical problems. It's simply out of our reach on a certain level once we start talking about the metaphysical purpose of what human life is for. We could have that discussion, but the idea that we're going to come to any certain conclusion, well, 
I mean, that's a high bar, right? Yeah, I mean, not even your mates on your mate date podcast is going to know everything, right? So this is why we just have these enlightening discussions. We just shed some light on the things we don't know, right? Um, that's all we can do. We, all we can do is just be <laughs> honest and be vulnerable. And just... That's all we can do is just confuse you deeply and then leave you hanging. <laughs> okay. Leave you with more questions than we have. Exactly. To... Exactly, yeah. mate. Well, okay. Well, is there anything to be said about uh, ignorance there? Do you have anything else to to highlight? Uh, let's think. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, just being aware of your own ignorance is a step in the right direction because chances are you're going you are lost in the weeds of it if you if at the accusation that you are ignorant that you're going to fire up and argue that you're not then use that as an indication that there's probably something you're not seeing right there's probably something that ignorance is probably very present and it's almost like a demon inside of you telling you that you're doing the right thing you're 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 doing okay you're you're doing everything and like that is fine to a certain degree but at one point or another you have to wake up and realize you don't know everything and that is ignorance that that is what that is and that's fine just be honest Okay, I got a couple others here that we can uh, we can wrap up uh, their discussion here. So here's another one that's sort of thrown around. What do you think of this? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I like that. I've been using that a lot recently, actually, because uh, okay, so because it's true. Of, um, the pandemic, right? So, so if so... I give you a few, you know, digs in the stomach, doesn't kill you. Yeah. Maybe it puts you in the hospital, puts you in a coma. Are you stronger? Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> I, I think so. Are you there? <laughs> it's possible. Hey, it's possible that you use that as a certain level of ignorance, right? Like okay. as an ignorant shield. Um, but for the most part, uh, I think embracing un- embracing uncomfortable situations is something that is going to allow you to grow in the best of ways right that's so so my version of it was um which is kind of similar what doesn't cause irreversible physiological harm makes you stronger <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah that was my only that was my only thing with it i mostly agree with that but it's like if someone you know stabs no. me in the stomach or like puts me in a coma or something like that does that does make me stronger and it doesn't kill me um so i guess there is a you know, a sense in which, yeah, absolutely, you want to have a much more comfortable sense of facing adversity, and you want to realise that only in pressure, and this is something Joe Rogan goes on about all the time, only in doing hard stuff do you actually realise your limits or what you're capable of. You know, so much of our thought patterns are just, you're not you're not going to be able to do it, you're not good enough, you, you know, imposter syndrome, all sorts of shit, but mm. just doing it, actually shows you that you can do it and you're actually stronger you know you get that with exercise right you might really think i can't jog for five kilometers i just can't do it but if you just do it and you just ignore those thoughts well you've done it so then it's mm. done so it so well, there you go right? I, you just said ignore your thoughts is that what we should be doing or should, yeah i guess there's there's a level of of ignorance there that we're using in a way that 
is going to make us better people. Yeah, well, like, it's just realizing that thoughts are... It's like a data point, right? It's not... It's not, like, especially when you're exercising, a lot of the thoughts you might be having, especially if you're new to doing it, are like, I need to stop right now. Like, your body's freaking out, right? But if you understand that that kind of fear can be channeled in a different way, and you can understand that as... Like, I feel like only once you start to do it for a while... um, I'm saying this for someone who's just starting out. Like, when I exercise... Um, there is the thought that like, oh shit, I can't wait to stop. But at the same time, I've, I've done it so much, especially with jogging, it's become a kind of practice where I know that those thoughts, I kind of get excited when I have those thoughts. I know it's working, right? Like that, you can use that as a kind of fuel for knowing that you're growing in this moment right now, you know, um, not to get to, you know, again, this kind of relates to our discussion of mythology and ignorance and stuff, but I'll, I'll tell you this, when I'm jogging and I'm like, I, I will have like flashbacks to like some anime that I watch where the, the message is like, with every step you become someone new. Like, I will genuinely flash back to something as silly as like some show. But if that's enough to push you through, um, then you do genuinely, be, with each step, especially with exercise, with each further stress that you put on your body, your body is growing, it's developing. It's So in that sense, it really is making you stronger and you are developing and growing in a way that your mental life might be otherwise constraining. I mean, like, what what is depression and anxiety other than being so stuck in your mental life that you just can't... Like, I saw um, a Reddit post the other day on uh, two me IRL for me IRL. It's like a it's basically just a depression meme subreddit. And the, the, the meme was something like, you know, when you get up in the morning and, you know, lay in bed for two hours reflecting on all the existential trauma that you have. And it's like, and other people can just get up and exercise. But my, my thing reading that was like, but that person doesn't understand that getting up and just getting out of that mental space and just exercising is actually the antidote to that to that suffering of existential trauma. It's like what we talked about, actually, I think on the last time we brought this up. Like when you're making something, when you're making music or you're building something, you're not you're not stuck in the linguistic realm of your experience. You're just in the creation of something else. And 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 same with exercise. You're so physiologically captured by your body that you're just you're not as concerned with the linguistic narrative that you're telling yourself about how I need to stop. I can't do this. I can't do this. It's like no, you're just showing yourself that you can, and you, you're. Because there's more to life than linguistic thought, right? That, 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 that clearly is the case. So in that sense, what doesn't kill you, especially, you know, what doesn't... What, I don't know, maybe there's a way of adjusting it where it's like, what you think will kill you... What you think will kill you will make you stronger if you transcend those thoughts. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I like this, uh, you know, we're re- unpacking uh, old idioms and... You know, they, they can become a bit confusing and it's like, oh yeah, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. So what, I should chop off all my limbs? I should jump into an oven and turn it up? Like, yeah, I, I understand that. Like, but, you know, if you think about it more, yeah, rationally, realistically, yeah, you, you're going to see benefits. You're going to see yourself get stronger because what is happening is you're just listening to this one voice in your head, right? I can't do this. Oh, look at me. I'm still in bed. Oh yeah, the day's gone by. What are you gonna do? What are you doing? You gonna stay here the whole time? Yeah, cool. And then you just you keep listening to that, and then you feel worse and worse. There's the confidence is just depleting. Um, 
yeah and it's like there's so much you could be doing to really help your situation out right now and it's just little steps i mean you probably hear this a lot if you listen to like self-help uh podcasts and books and stuff and whatever it's like it's a little victory so you know you're stuck in bed okay let's get out of bed let's make the bed let's tidy up your room and let's start you know very small and then we can start to branch out and eventually you're outside you're climbing mountains and you're you know you're achieving your goals so really it does snowball and the momentum is so strong right like joe rogan he says this all the time it's like you know do if you you can't do any push-ups okay well let's just start with one one day if you can do one a day do two the next day three the next day after that and just like keep upping the ante because what is happening is your body is going to adapt and get stronger from that and what you said before it's like you know you each each stress you put your body through it's actually helping it become stronger tougher and more resilient yeah because with muscles you actually tear them down and it rebuilds so when you when you're doing some biceps what is happening is you're tearing the muscle and that obviously doesn't feel good right that's not a pleasurable thing inherently especially if you've never done it like if it's the first time yeah you're gonna freak out yeah 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 there's probably you know uh, a ton of doubt in your mind like whether you can actually even do it but doing it and just putting the actions uh, to the evidence for your mind to see that wow we can do it and you know that voice turns around and goes yes what how far can we go here this is this is exciting you know this is like a drug the adrenaline is just coursing through my veins right now um, you know, it's a lot easier said than done, obviously, but, you know, it's just putting yourself there and through the test and and that's where the results lie, right? The right. proof is in the pudding there. Right, that's right. And so when you say, like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying you need to ignore your thoughts. What I'm saying is be aware of how much of your thoughts is simply conditioning, right? If you've never done it before, yeah. it's going to be very hard to stop. But as you say, do a push-up. If you can do that, maybe we can do two, maybe we can do three. And it's like, what you have to realize is that so much of your mental life is you're not responsible for it. It's just it's just a stream of something that is just, you know, been thrust upon you from childhood onwards, right? Genetics plus environment plus here you are, right? Um, <laughs> and if you haven't done, if you've never really understood that the path to growth is always found in pressure, in in challenging yourself. I mean, it's the zone of proximal development, right? It's Vygotsky's, that's where the zone comes from, I think, right? The, the phrase, you know, you're in the zone, right? Where you're just in a flow state and you're able to just, um, you know, just do whatever you're doing without the constraint that you're like constantly thinking about it. Like, oh, is this sentence, like when you're writing a, you know, an essay and you're just like totally captured by the stream of 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 discussion or or when you're reading a book and you're just you're totally captured by the author's voice you know you're not you're not layering on your own like oh this is what i think and this is like you know things like that um so i got one more for you uh this isn't really an idiom this is actually like a kind of uh maxim in in moral philosophy i suppose this is actually like one of the first things i was told in my first philosophy class and it's always really confused me, so I'm curious what you think about it. So, this is David Hume's uh, razor, as it's sometimes called, and it's the idea that in moral philosophy, uh, you can't get an ought from an is. So I, so, so the 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 way this arose is that David Hume was responding to uh, religious, uh, you know, d- uh, 
arguers at the time who would say things like, you know, God ought, uh, we ought to serve God and we ought to um, do this in service of the Lord and, and we ought to be moral, we ought to be good, uh, we ought to not kill each other. And Hume's point was that you can't just say we ought to do something and derive a moral fact. Um, you can't get an ought from an is. The problem with that is that it doesn't really map on when we're talking about designing a morality that is rationally, like, uh, cogent, right? So, you know, if you can't get an ought from an is, how do I convince anyone of anything? It's like, how do I, how do we have a moral discussion if you can't get an ought from an is? And I got to say, like, um, there is some criticism here that Hume didn't really think that this was a, like, a, uh, a sort of, um, philosophy principle that needs to be applied to every moral discussion. It, I feel like he he said this in one paragraph of a, of a criticism, and and some philosopher took it, and it's just it's just like been like a meme that's spread. But the meme has never landed true for me. So I wonder what you think of that. If you can't get an ought from an is, how do you design any moral rule? Like it feels like we're just in yeah. relative. If you can't get an ought from an is, we're doomed to moral relativism, in my view. But moral relativism being the idea that we can't say anything is is good or bad it's all relative so you know uh you know as you say the stoning of gays well that's just what they do that's just their culture i can't criticize that because you can't get not from it is um that just seems totally wrong right in my view but um the overwhelming consensus in philosophy is that this is true like this is brought up in every moral philosophy class as a true maxim that cannot be violated but this make, doesn't make any sense to me so uh, i i have i have a little revised version of it but i want to hear what you think about it first does, does that make do, do you see something i'm not seeing there in that phrase uh yeah i can see this going over the head of a lot of people i think um you know it's just something you don't really hear every day but yeah I, I've, I've been like looking into philosophy for a couple years now i guess but uh, not really hearing that in particular that phrase um what comes to mind is uh and i'm trying to kind of just decipher the meaning of it right like it is it is it the case that you can say and theorize about as much as you want, but until you actually do it, you're not going to understand. It's it's you know? more yeah it's it's more that we could we could um we can say whatever we want like this is good and this is bad, but yeah. I think the idea is that uh, in terms of like scientifically true, we can't make any moral argument that is scientifically true. Like every moral expression is really just a preference essentially so i can't i can't actually make yeah. the case that say slavery is morally wrong because that's deriving an ought from an is you ought not to have slaves i can't say that and then say it's wrong to have slaves but that seems totally wrong to me so my, my revised version of it is you can get not from an is but only in highly cogent rational circumstances so you have to actually have an argument you can't just say well god told me so that's what hume was responding to you can't just mm. say god said ought to do this but if you have a rational argument like slavery infringes on the fundamental human rights of of a human being to not be of service to someone for no money therefore it is morally wrong or stoning gays 
shouldn't be done because it causes psychological suffering for someone who hasn't done anything wrong. So therefore, it is wrong. Like, it seems like if you have an argument, then of course you can get an ot from an is. Otherwise, everything is relative and nothing is morally right or wrong. And that seems totally wrong. And it feels like a lot of people who think they understand moral philosophy actually land in that space of postmodern relativism, nothing is true. That seems totally, completely confused, in my opinion, but... Um, that's been my mm. own, that's, that's my own hobby horse in, in moral philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I guess I don't really have that much of a hobby horse in this race, but, uh, let's see. So, I would say that, yeah, like, I agree to, a, to what you're saying, 100%, like, you know, there needs to be a meaning behind something for something to change, right? Like, if we were stoning gays and someone would say, well, why are we actually doing this? Uh like yeah it's leaving them psychologically traumatized and in some cases actually killed them so that's just the work like if you know you're the judge jury and the executioner of someone who's not even had a trial right like they've not even had the opportunity to defend themselves um so you know what i'm getting from this is that yeah like people can think that something is true but that's going that might differ from people to person to person right like sure. you can't no one can like meticulously go into someone's brain and, and go on or off right or like true and false on every morale morality question out there right like it's just it's um a very personal thing so to get odd from it is it's like it's i mean yeah it's a it shouldn't just be something that is a given Right, there needs to be more thought given to it because to just go with what is happening, um, it, it doesn't really allow for any further discussion. Right, and it kind of removes the moral core of like what what do we actually care about? Well, it's like yeah. you know, I understand in the case of what Hume was criticizing, you know, you don't want to have anyone be able to say, well, God told me this so we ought to do this therefore it's true because anyone could make up anything but mm. but the idea that we can't have um like i i'm would refer to myself as a a moral realist so actually i i do think all morality is an expression of preference i think that is true but those preferences can be discussed and we can still have a discussion about the society we want to live in and in terms of you know the idea that there's no core to any moral discussion the core is psychological suffering, right? It has to be. Uh, like, and that's that's Peter Singer's point, you know. The idea that you can... And Peter Singer actually famously was more relativistic relativistic earlier in his career and he's come to the conclusion that that's not a place to stand. You have to have some basis for what you, what you actually consider to be a morally good or bad thing. And for him, it's the psychological preferences of a sentient being. And all sentient beings have a psychological preference not to suffer. Therefore, that can be our basis for a moral discussion. So we can get ought from an is as long as it's mm. highly cogent and, we, and it's rational and we discuss it and we're able... May, may, okay, maybe we can't have moral facts that are true regardless of human psychological states, but then now we've just lost the plot completely because all morality is is a discussion of what psychological states we want human beings to have. So... <laughs> this is. I feel like this has been a very. This is kind of like a weird. It was weird to me that this got brought up in class because it's like, 
it feels to me this is very obvious how you solve this problem, but the idea that like this was actually this was actually presented to me as a razor that you could not violate. And to me that's so it's so dementing to the core of what moral philosophy is, which is intelligently discussing what kind of psychological states we want to promote in sentient beings. And if you say, well, you know, you just, we, we, there's no place to stand, you know, you can't get any moral facts about, um, about human beings, but moral facts necessarily are tied to psychological states. And so in that sense, we can say that it is bad for, let's say, a family to enslave their children, right? Because those children could have much better lives in another, in another family. Um, if you say that you can't get that ought from the is, there's no place to stand, and you're just stuck being this moral relativist that has nothing to say except, well, to each their own, and it's like, ah, whatever. It's, and to me, that's the height of immorality. That's the height of being mm. someone who's so content to let other people suffer simply because you have no backbone, you have no courage, you have no ability to have principles. <laughs> so... It's been I don't know it's it's weird to me that this this uh this idiom has survived through so much moral philosophy and uh is still quite prominent today people will still say it as if it's as if it's actually true. <laughs> That's so weird yeah I've never this is the first time I'm actually hearing about this. Uh, but I I think uh you know if you refine the the saying it's it's probably going to be more accurate if you say something like you can get a knot from it is but only if you um, view from an objective perspective, right? Right, but the people the people who believe this will say there's no objective place to stand. All morality is subjective. But I think that's true. All morality mm. is subjective. It's an expression of a preference. The question is, like, is there a place to stand where we acknowledge that those preferences have moral value? So it seems it seems ridiculous to say to, to in my opinion to say that moral discussion needs to be objective that's impossible because morality is a discussion about human psychology so it's necessarily tied to sentient beings who are capable of suffering or of bliss right um so so yeah that's that's why i say like not not in objective circumstance i say a highly cogent circumstance so i my my uh, re- revision of that would be you need to give me an argument you can't just say because god told me so or because I feel because my intuition says such and such. No, you have to actually present a cogent argument, and that cogent argument, I would say Peter Singer is the best at this, is 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 uh, brought forth in the psychological suffering of say animals who are suffering under factory farming. Um, you know, he's very clear about that. Like, he's not a relativist. He actually thinks that there are moral facts, and the moral fact is. Those animals could have much better lives. Therefore, it is immoral to allow factory farming to continue in its current state. Now, if you're a if you're a relativist, you just have nowhere to stand. You just have to be like, well, you know, to each their own. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm very suspicious of moral relativism. I think it's like literally the height of um, of unethical and unprincipled thinking. So uh, that that's my approach has always been from the other side. So I can see how people are suspicious of moral uh you know people want to preach right and i i I totally accept that we shouldn't allow everyone to just say anything they want and so in that sense you can't just say we ought to do this and that's true fair enough but i just think that can't be true across the board it just because otherwise there's no place to stand there's no moral core to our discourse and do we care about human beings do we care about sentient beings there you go 
there is an ought, there is an is, we can have the discussion, right? Let's start there. Um, maybe we could be wrong. We could absolutely be wrong, right? Um, you know, like like the like you said with exercise, is it is it pain that that person is going through, or is it or if they welcome the suffering, is that different? Like it's hard to measure the quality of a psychological state, right? That's when it gets murky. But the idea that morality mm. is an objective thing, totally disconnected from psychological states, is just like so misguided and and just completely like esoteric. I don't even know what the discussion is at that point. You know, when people say we need an objective morality, I don't even know what that means. I don't. don't I don't know what that means really. Um, is that, uh, does that uh, uh, clear that up? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, morality is, is purely subjective. And yeah, the example of like uh, exercise, it's like, you know, or even like uh, BDSM, something like that, yeah, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, the perfect pair is a masochist and a sadist, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, yeah, what's well, going to float your boat is going to float at others or that sort of thing. But so, the second the masochist um, says, hey, wait, no, this is now suffering, now it's immoral. Now we can, you know... The, Right, it's 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 murky, it's messy, but that's what morality is. Why? Yeah. You think it'd be this clean thing? It's like no, it's an ongoing discourse that constantly is evolving based on the mm. potential experiences we might have. And that's why I think Sam Harris actually does a lot of good in his idea of the moral landscape. Like, you know, you don't have to see morality as being this binary thing. You know, and that's what religion promotes, and that's why it can be kind of you know traumatic to think that the devil is you know, like pointing out every sin and like keeping score and, you know, um, yeah, maybe that is, you know, troubling because every time you, every time you orgasm, you know, that's one, that's, you just dig in the pit of hell even further. Um, Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And then, and then, you know, consider the Satanist in the same position, right? Like their orgasm is something that's uh, very much welcomed. It's (laughs) it's an offering to (laughs) Oh, the semen, Satan... (laughs) We're, we're all we've done it all haven't we so <laughs> unless do you have any more um any idioms come to mind that we can uh, uh, tear apart mm, not at the moment but yeah i'll think about it over the okay the course of the next week maybe we'll have some more in the future then so thank you for yep. listening to another episode of mate dates other than that come back next week next uh episode for another mate date and we'll see you next time bye mate <laughs>